This is your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Hope you guys are having a good day out there today. Lots to get to on the show. A lot of gopher football on this show. Mike Brown-Stevens, wide receiver for the Gophers, will join me here in just a little bit. Had a great conversation with him on Tuesday out at the Big Athletic Complex over there. Just a lot of interesting stuff about him, including... Um, If you had not forgotten, he is the nephew of John Legend, the excellent recording artist. And at one point in his life, he accidentally broke one of John Legend's Grammy Awards, the actual statue. Um, So just a really fun conversation with Mike Brown-Stevens about that, but of course about football and other stuff along his journey. So I hope you enjoy that. Randy Johnson, who covers Go for Football for the Star Tribune, will also join me on the show to talk a little bit more about the upcoming opportunity against Purdue, the 4-0 start, ranking now number 21 in the um, in the AP poll, number 23 in the coaches poll. So a lot at stake in this game at Huntington Bank Stadium on Saturday, a chance to go 5-0 and and a chance to kind of keep this momentum rolling through the season. They've been very good so far this year, starting to make people believe, in, and this would be another step along that way. Also got to get to a Vikings um, quote at the end of the day today. From I, I took interest in Mark Craig's story on Eric Kendricks and the defense, and something from that struck me as something to watch going forward, so we'll, we'll peek in at that as well. First, though, what did I miss? start with the twins just because I feel like this happens sometimes where I write something not entirely flattering about them. In this case, I wrote a blog post on Tuesday, I guess it was, about just the pitching and kind of how how we didn't know how good we had it in 2019 when we were watching that team. And I know there's a lot of things went right that year. Um, they hit 307 home runs. I think you might remember that. Set a major league record for home runs in a season that year. Uh, but beyond that, just peeked at some things and just the consistency they had that year in their starting rotation. <clears throat> they had five guys make at least 26 starts that year. Five guys pitch at least 146 innings that year and they weren't all great but you could pretty much know exactly who was going to take the ball every fifth day that year and that played a big part in how they were able to navigate the season I think they finished with like 889 innings pitched from their starters that was sixth most in major league baseball this season going into um, Tuesday night's game and I wrote that Tuesday afternoon this season they I believe they ranked 28th in innings from starters so third from the bottom A lot of short starts, a lot of not terribly effective starts, a lot of injuries, things like that this year. Nobody on this team has gotten even to that 146-inning mark that that five of those Twins pitchers reached in 2019. Now, Joe Ryan might get there at the end of the year here. I think he's only like five innings away. But point being, after Jose Barrios led the team in innings pitch with like 121 and change last year, even though he was traded... With two months left in the season, he led the team in innings pitched last year. Another year where they're just not getting enough innings from their starters. So, of course, I write that. And then Bailey Ober goes out and pitches a gem. Pitches into the eighth inning, I believe, for just the third time all year that a twin starter has pitched into the eighth inning. Third or fourth, something like that. It's not been many. Um, I think Joe Ryan did it once. I think uh, Dylan Bundy did it once. But I don't think anybody else has done it. So... 
that you know that right there tells you kind of what the what the pitching plan has been this year and part of it's just they just don't have a lot of really good pitchers that said you write a lot about you know the pitchers not throwing innings and then Bailey overthrows innings and then you think about the pitching and if you are going to be even a little bit optimistic about 2023 and I'm not by and large I think there's there's some reasons to be pessimistic just I I feel like this team has had a hard time getting any kind of consistency when they seem like they're kind of good they're not healthy when they're healthy they're not good in the last couple years but if you're looking for one thread of of something to carry into 2023 I think maybe it is strangely enough the pitching I think they've got they in by, by by being forced to find so many different options this year they do have the makings of a rotation next year that could be at least producing some depth. So you got Joe Ryan, who's had a good year. I would say you know, 12 and 8, 3.7 ERA. He's been quite good. He's only given up 110 hits in 141 innings. So he he qualifies as having a good year. Sonny Gray, who is back under contract next year, 8 and 5, 3.08 ERA, 24 starts. When he's been healthy, he has been quite good as well. Bailey Ober, like I mentioned, pitched very well. Uh, in that game and when he's been healthy again this year that caveat just 51 innings pitch but when he's been healthy he has an ERA of 3.18 now I don't think Dylan Bundy will be back I don't think Chris Archer will be back that would be a surprise to me but then you start talking about guys like Josh Winder who looked pretty good when he got a shot before he again got hurt Um, you start talking about guys like Chris Paddock who was injured early in the year they should get him back at some point next year I would imagine um, Tyler Malley, the, the trade deadline acquisition who had to be shut down if he comes back healthy. Louis Varland has, has made a few starts and looked good in some of them. Um, you, you're talking about maybe maybe getting back some of these other guys. and talking about Kenta Maeda should definitely be back next season and recovered from his surgery. So you're talking about some options here. I don't know if that's the making of a great rotation, but you're talking about a lot of guys who have shown that when they are healthy, they can pitch okay. So I feel like if you are looking for just a little bit of optimism going into next year, strangely enough, it may it might be the starting pitching. Maybe they can get more innings out of these guys next year because they depend on them a little bit more because they know they can pitch deeper because they are actually good pitchers. So keep that in mind as you think about this offseason. Even as pessimism reigns, there might be some hope for the future. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I'm back here with Mike Brown-Stevens, wide receiver for the Gophers. Mike, we just had you in the, the bigger session with uh, the, the rest of the media, and you, you had them laughing, you had them going. I mean, is, this just your, is that just your personality or how you just kind of the, the way you communicate in general? Honestly, yeah. I just I always attempt, try to, you know, be myself whenever I'm talking to anybody, honestly. Um whether it be business setting, I know that might not always be the right thing to do, but I just feel more comfortable with just being myself. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, reach to make everybody laugh, but some of the things I do say, you know, 
provides a little giggle for somebody. Do you, <laughs> do you are you is that play on the locker room? Are you one of the funnier guys? Or do you kind of is that part of your leadership in the locker room even? Uh, definitely, I like to joke around with the guys a lot. Um, you know, I feel like I'm one of the guys that can flip the switch, and everybody will know if you know it's time to be serious or if we're joking at the time. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would like to consider myself, you know, a little jokester sometimes. You said you were a fan of Lions. Were you just, like, talking at that point, or are you really a fan of Lions? I'm I'm definitely really a fan of Lions. I don't have my my chain on right now, but I got a Lion pendant chain. I got a Lion tatted on me right here. Yeah, you do. Okay. I got uh, another Lion right here from the Lion King. Um, You know, I got this big Lion mural in my room. I got a Lion uh, decal in my bathroom. I got lions everywhere, so so you weren't lying. Yeah, I wasn't oh, lying. Oh, sorry, <laughs> that, <laughs> that was a good one. That, that was dad. No, I'm a dad. I'm a dad. That's a dad joke. All right, my bad. My bad. Knee slapper. Yeah, <laughs> I would ask you some football stuff here in a minute, but you, I'm, I'm sure we've been through this countless times. But a nephew of John Legend, mm-hmm. I, we, we all we all know that. But like, how does that like when you when you're related to somebody famous and you're famous yourself, you're, fam- you're related to other famous players too. Like, how, how does that kind of family dynamic work out? Man, it, it's definitely a blessing. Um, I would say it could be a curse, but it's only a curse for people who let it be. Because um, a lot of people, they'll come up to me and be like, you don't think people just use you for your uncle or the people you know? I'm like, how can someone use me for somebody they can't get to if I don't let them? Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a blessing slash a curse in that sense, but... Outside of that, you know, it's just real cool always getting to, you know, go out there and live, you know, sort of a part of their life and seeing, like, you know, just how, like, a bigger side of life, really. Um, I Just for example, I went out to Las Vegas when he was doing his residency back in May. And okay. we were there for, I took my, one of my best friends, Trey Potts, uh, our running back. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yep, so I took him out there with me, and it was me, him, his girl, and my girlfriend. And, you know, my uncle got us all a hotel where we, where he was performing at. Um, you know, just going out and getting front seat, front row seats to his show and watching everything going on behind stage. Um, take, seeing him take pictures with everybody, like meet and greets, and then... You know, just going out and having fun after the show and all types of stuff. And then we ended up going back to L.A. to his place Kay. the day after the show and just, you know, just kicking it with him and just in a like a 14 or a 17 million dollar house. And this is just crazy. Like he got like a hundred foot um, infinity pool. It's like it's like all the stuff is really motivational, honestly. Yeah. Um, and that's really like the blessing side of it. I was going to say, um, what's the curse side? I'm so I, I don't, I'm not hearing any curse side. I'm hearing all blessing here. Yeah, like, and that's that's why I say it's more of a blessing. Like, there really isn't any curse to it, honestly, because that's why I'm so confused when people come up to yeah. me and ask, like, well, don't you think people are using it? I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I, I love it over here. And he's just a good guy, right? Exactly. I mean, he's yeah, he's a normal person. Like, you know, he doesn't think he's bigger than anybody. He's real down to earth. He texts me after every game. You know, good game, good catch. I've been watching. I'm sorry I didn't get to watch this part, but I, I was uh, performing at the time. So, you know, he's very involved with what I got going on. Um, I talk to him at least a couple times a week, if not every day. Uh, you know, it just depends. But that's my guy, man. He's been a real big role model for me. And there's everybody in my family, and he's really set uh, uh, the right way to do things. Yeah. Um, he's never in trouble. He has a, a nice family and, and kids and shows how to be a father. 
and a, a public figure in the correct way. So yeah. I, that, that's definitely somebody I look up to. Does he still remind you that you broke his Grammy? Because <laughs> he tweeted that like, man, I can't run away from this. So I'm, just, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just asking, like, like you know, we got to do our research yeah. going in. It's like, wait, that was you? Mm-hmm. So every time I go back uh, to visit him, you know, I go out there probably like either two, three times a year. Uh, whenever I get time away, I always go in his his like trophy room, and I and I look, and I always find him like 2010. There it is. That's the one I broke. <laughs> Right how'd, there. how'd you break it, man? You were okay. t- you're ten years old, right? So you're like yeah, you're I was like young. nine, I was like nine or ten, something okay. like that. And I was tying my shoe. He had, and this time he only probably had like five at the time. Only five Grammys, okay? Yeah, so, yeah. and so they were up on like a, a little stool, and it had like little shelves, like just singular shelves, and it was probably like a foot wide and a, a foot long, and but it just like went up to probably like three or four feet. So I was tying my shoe. And my cousin, he walks by, and he kind of, like, does this to my shoulder. And I, when I look up, I start leaning back, and the Grammy case is right behind me. I lean back into it, and then really two of them fell. One of them, the, the horn on the whatever it is, like the record player, uh-huh. it, like, turned, but he, like, just fixed that one. And then the other one, like, it just fell all the way <laughs> off the platform. I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> it's like, oh, Mikey, you broke my Grammy. Oh, no. It was like, it's okay. I'll just order another one. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. But, I mean, come a long way since then. Oh, yeah. you, you know, I'm always interested in the journey someone takes <laughs> to get to someplace like Minnesota. I mean, you're not you're not from here. You're like, mm-hmm. before you came here, I don't even know if you've ever been here. Like, how do, how do, how do you wind up here? How do you, how do you end up getting a scholarship? You come to a camp, things like that. How does that all transpire for you? Yeah, so um, I remember coming up here on a visit with two of my high school best friends, and they're still my best friends to this day, um, Moses and, and Isaiah. They ended up going to Kentucky, but anyways, we, uh, <laughs> we you still know. Like, we still like them. Yeah, we, yeah, I'm still good with them. But we came to Minnesota. We went on like a three-day trip, um, three visits each day. We stopped at Iowa State first and then came to Minnesota and then went home, and then went to West Virginia. So we came to Minnesota. I wasn't being recruited. These were all their recruits, um, their their schools that they had offers at. And I was just, you know, the tag along, wanting to get my name out. Um, so I remember getting here and going in the receiver room, uh, watching their meetings going on and all that. And Simon, you know, he just kind of acted like he, he didn't even know who I was. He probably didn't, honestly. And I just remember feeling like, dang. And then at the same time, when I went to go watch the practice, I was like, man, I, I like this place. I'm sitting here trying to tell my boy Zay, like, yo, y'all want to come here? Like, if I got the offer, I would commit here. I would commit here. And I don't even think Fleck knows all this, okay. honestly. But, you know, I was telling them that, and they didn't even – I really wasn't even being recruited by them at the time. Um, coming to the end of the visit, I talked to – because, uh, yeah, I talked to Fleck. All three of us, we were talking to him. And then we basically was just like, you know, we're going to start recruiting more now, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. So (laughs) then we go home, and they just like, uh, Rossi, he was my recruiter at the time. And he said, come to our camp. Make sure you get to our camp. We'll be there um, at Wilmington. And we're doing like a little satellite camp. So, you know, just come through. Come show out. So all throughout the rest of the spring, I'm just training, thinking about the camp. I'm like, all right, bet. This is, like, my first, like, big school that really wants me to go to a camp. 
So I go to the camp, and I remember I was wearing jersey number 198. And Coach Blake, he came up to me. He was like, hey, man, you, you better put on the show. I was like, man, you know I'm going to put on the show. I got you. Don't worry. You know, just being kind of cocky or whatever. Right. So I go out there. I do my thing. And uh, I remember Shiraki, he said uh, he only remembered me by number 198. So he used to just call me that all the time when I got <laughs> up here. He was like, you know, 198, how's it going, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so after the camp, a few days later, I got the offer. And, you know, I was just happy. And then I came here. Uh, and I remember getting up when I got the offer. I remember how I felt when I first came here on that visit with Moses and Isaiah. And then I came here for the hyper hangout sometime in like June, I think towards like the end of June, and talked to Coach Fleck. And uh, we made it official after that, that weekend. So, you know, and I feel like I made a good decision this thus far. So. It's been a journey. A few more things for you. This year, you guys are four and zero. You, I mean, I don't even know what coaches say to you guys after the game. Like, we got to work on this. We got to work at that. Like, what? Like, what do you guys got to work on? I'm sh- I know there is, and I know yeah. that's not the attitude that you guys have. But like, I watched the game against Michigan State. I'm like, man, they got this thing locked down right now. And obviously, yeah. it's it's going to get harder. There's going to be adversity. Mm-hmm. But like, you guys got to feel pretty good. Like, what do they even have to complain about right now? What do they What do they coach up right now? Yeah, I mean, every game. There's always you never play a perfect game. Um, I remember Coach Fleck, he showed us a video of Jerry Rice, and somebody asked him, did he, like, after all he's done, does he feel like he's, like, you know, he's the best receiver of all time in the NFL. Do you feel like you've mastered your position? And Jerry Rice said no. And uh, he was just showing that, you know, there's something you can always get better at, no matter how dominant you are, no matter what the stats look like. And he literally was just like, you know, I can go back and watch film and say, like, I, did I did I do the right technique when I was blocking? Or just something as little as that. So just getting back to the question, um, what do they have to coach us on? You know, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, we might have missed assignments on or um, blocking the wrong person even though we blocked somebody. Uh, so the, the result doesn't show everything that happened in between the yeah. game. And you never know what, you know, you messing up in this area – would do in the next game. Maybe you mess up in the area of the next game and it'd be way more devastating sure. and could change the game. So there's a lot of things that, that need to be coached up on. But, you know, uh, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't always show in the results. That kind of goes along with what something Tanner Morgan said in the group setting, too. He said, I think he said, complacency is the number one killer of success. Is that something you guys, that feels like it's something that gets repeated a lot with mm-hmm. you guys or that that's maybe a mantra of this year's team as you kind of think about yeah, we're 4-0 right now, but we, we can't just be satisfied with that. Exactly. So we honestly, I don't look, I mean, yeah, everybody knows we're 4-0. Like everybody on the team, we all know we're 4-0. But I think this team, we have a good job. We do a good job in moving forward and taking it one week at a time better than, you know, the past few teams that I've been on Okay. Um, as a collective. Not saying that the past few teams, like we didn't have people who did that and we were, who were able to do that. But I'm saying as a full team, We've done a great job in just being able to move on and and swallow everything that they're giving us as far as, you know, this coaching and all this. A lot of teams would just be like, man, come on, man. We just, you know, blew out a, a top 25 team. Like, they literally didn't score until the fourth quarter and blah, blah, blah. What more can we, like, what do we have to do? You don't have nothing to say. But, right. you know, we do a good job in just moving on and making sure that we are staying one week at a time and making that the main focus. A couple things uh, left for you. One, um, I think you talked a little bit in the group setting about kind of how you build trust with someone like Tanner Morgan, how, you know, that's 
that comes over time and it's not immediate and you know sometimes it's just those reps and things like that how, how, what what how do you define kind of the trust between a quarterback and a receiver <clears throat> um honestly it's just going out there and making plays um whenever your name is called because in practice you're you're not going to get called for every rep to you know go out there and he's going to throw you the ball every rep so it comes in because um, everything's on film so just even if you're not getting the ball, he wants to see, are you going to win on this route? Yeah. Even if I'm not looking your way, are you going to win on this route? Do I know? Can I trust that you'll always be open if this if this first read is not going to go how I want it? I know I, I have you back here. So um, just being consistent in what you're doing, catching the ball, and like basically that's all it is to build trust. It's, you know, the consistency of the things that you're able to do and then built up over time comes that trust. And you also said selflessness is a big piece of this year's team, maybe even more so than other teams you've been on. Not that you've had selfish teams, not to say that, but just like a really good attribute of this year's team. How does that present itself on whether it's a practice day, whether it's game day? How, how does that play itself out? Yeah, and I feel like the reason why you have to be selfless, especially with this team, is because there's a playmaker everywhere. Um, whereas in the past, you know, there might have been one or two guys that everybody wanted to see. Yeah. Even players on the team, like, man, I'm trying to see what Ty or Rashad or Chris is going <laughs> yeah. to do this game. Like, right. you know. Um, and you've been here for those guys. Exactly. You saw them. Like, and I was one of the guys that's just like, man, I can't wait to watch uh, Tyler bait this game. Yeah. You know, I'm not just a young guy. Right. Like, speaking from that mindset. But, um, you know, there, there, there was times where people were like that. And uh, I just feel like. You know, you you have to be open to everybody have playing a part in the win because there's playmakers everywhere. Everybody can can do something great and special out on that field. So there's there's no room for being selfish, like at all. So um, and at the same time, it brings the, the group together. When people see that you want to see somebody else win, it's it's infectious. They they want to feel that too. Um, and then once you really buy into it, it just becomes natural. And it just happens. So that's one thing that really has been, you know, coming out of me more and more each game. It's just like, man, I'm so happy to just like for Mo when he was scoring touchdowns, yeah. like, and knowing that I could play a part in that, and just seeing him, you know, going and doing his thing, like that's that's super exciting for me. Um, and yeah. Daniel Jackson, yeah. two touchdowns, like you know, in one game. I'm like, man, that's super. I'm super proud of that. I, I, I see him as like, you know, a little brother. So. You know, just seeing stuff like that is just super, super special to me. You guys have a lot of good things going right now. We'll see how it plays out against Purdue. If you have, like, one – it's probably not, like, one key to the game ever, but, like, as you think about – anytime you, like, go into a Saturday, is there, like, one thing you bring into it and say, hey, if we do this, we're, we're going to win, or if we, we if we go into it this way, we're going to win? Yeah, just execute our game our game plan. Uh-huh. You know, that's that's from week to week. We just have to execute our game plan better than we executed the game plan last week. So that kind of goes into, you know, yeah. what do they have to coach you on? Yeah. Maybe we didn't execute the game plan 100% last week, and we didn't. Not maybe, but we didn't. Um, maybe we did it 76%. Now, this week, we want to at least do it 77%. Strive for 100 but, you know, at the end of the day, be better than we were last week. Awesome. Mike Brown-Stevens, appreciate your time, and uh, good luck Saturday. Yes, sir. Thank you, man. Well, if we thought that uh, Michigan State was going to be a better 
test for the Gophers or maybe a, you know, kind of a benchmark game for them. I guess it was uh, of sorts. It didn't prove to be that much more of a test, but I guess by Randy Johnson winning 34 to seven, a game that was 34, nothing until the very last seconds. Um, they and Gophers answered a lot of questions, at least, um, at least for now, but, but probably for, for the big picture that this is a pretty good team. Yeah. I think that that pretty much sealed it. I, it basically, you know, you had to, it was easy to question who they had done this before to in the first three games of the non-conference season, but you get in the conference play and then you uh, go on the road to a team that, you know, two weeks earlier was ranked number 11 in the country and you, uh, you spank them uh, 34 to seven and it was, it was over in a hurry. Uh, yeah. They, you know, two, a 70, uh, 75 yard drive, 77 yard drive right away. And then they get a, get a field goal to go up 17 and um, you know, Purdue was just on its heels or uh, Michigan State is just on its heels. No, no, Tanner Morgan likes, you know, he resists comparisons. I think sometimes he's very, you know, now focused um, and, and present focused, focused on the next opponent. But I mean, he, he did, you know, say this is about as comfortable as he's felt throwing the ball. He said that Tuesday and it this this just looks a lot like 2019 Tanner Morgan and probably no coincidence with, with Kirk Sharaka back as his coordinator and him just gaining all this experience. But I don't think anybody, any of us might have thought that he might look as good as he did against Michigan State. Yeah, it, it's interesting because, you know, the last uh, couple of years with Mike Sanford, Tanner said all, all the right things. And, you know, he would take the blame on himself and everything. But clearly he's he's uh, meshing with Kirk Sharaka a lot better than, than he did with Sanford as our offense coordinator. So it's, yeah, he's, uh, the interesting thing Saturday was how he's, He's been doing it all year, but how he spread the ball around in, in a in a big game like that. Uh, they're missing Chris Altman Bell because of the injury, so he just uh, each took it upon themselves to step up, and he found him. Um, you know, ten different receivers catching the ball. I don't get the sense that this is a team that will, you know, get too full of itself from being ranked now at twenty first in the AP and twenty three in the coaches. Do I have that right? Yes, yes, that's so, true. And so I don't, I don't feel like that's this is like something you necessarily worry about with this specific team. They seem to have that kind of next game up mentality, and PJ Fleck has pre- pre- preached that from the very beginning. You know, that said, it's kind of human nature sometimes too. When you do experience some success, you get ranked. You've got a big game coming up. You know, you've got a big, you're expecting a big crowd against Purdue on Saturday for there to be, you know, some sort of whether it's a letdown or you're too hyped up or whatever it is that, that it's hard to sustain this level. Where, where do you get the sense that they are at going into this Purdue game on Saturday? Yeah, they, they really do uh, adhere to uh, PJ's mantra of uh, one game championship seasons. Uh, that's, you know, they're, they're saying all the right things and doing all the right things, but backing it up. Yeah. They're, they're, they're going to hit some adver- adversity this, you know, going forward here. It's that, you know, we don't know when that's going to come. It could, Come this uh, this weekend, um, you know they got a little bit of it with uh, the loss of Ottman Bell. Um, you know you, you'd rather have him in there than not. Uh, the one thing though is they do have some depth at wide receiver, so that does help mitigate that that uh, situation. Yeah, they're yeah they're they're not always. I don't think they're always going <laughs> to race out to a to a fourteen nothing lead in, after the first two possessions. You know they're they're going to run into some some issues, and then that's what, when we'll see how they. Um, respond uh, when they've had a little bit of adversity, they've responded to it. Uh, case in point, uh, start the second half at 17 nothing. Michigan State's driving down the field to get to the sixth, and then Thomas Rush 
punches the ball out and Justin Wally recovers it. That that's uh they've had some good responses for the defense. Um creating turnovers when when the offense might have faltered a little bit. Defense, the starting defense, right, to still just allowed three points in four games. Is that right? The, when, yeah, when no the starters are in? Yeah. Three points to Western Illinois in the in the first half. I mean, obviously that's not going to continue the whole year, Andy, but this I mean this defense again, like every every kind of step they take forward, every time you do it again, especially against Michigan State, adds some credibility to it. What what about this defense to you is is so good because they did lose a lose some players off of this defense. Yeah, I, I think it's depth. Uh, that's part of it. Uh, you know, I was always concerned about the the defensive line, how they were going to be losing, you know, two um NFL draft picks to the pros at on the at the on the ends, and then uh, a couple more uh, big guys in the middle that that were mainstays for three four years. Um, that's going to be, you know, so far so good. You know, they you know Trill Carter stepped up in the middle. Um, you know, you're getting production out of a, a guy like Danny Strigow at the end. Uh, hit an incredible uh, interception, diagnoses a screen pass, and sticks his arm out, grabs the ball. Um, yeah, that was a pretty. That was a great play. Uh, yeah, I think you know it's their depth. Their their they have quality at all three different three levels with on the line at linebacker Mario Sonic. Sorry, Martin's having a great year, and in the secondary, um, um, Terrell Smith having a great year at corner. Uh, Tyler Newbin obviously really good. Jordan Howden and then Justin Wally at the other corner. Um, they're they're pretty set. Um, you know that's it'll be interesting this week because Purdue's a, a, a pass happy team and they're, they'll test them. I was going to just going to ask you about Purdue. I mean, that's that seems like the way that Purdue will maybe test them that other teams haven't quite tested them yet. Not like not like Michigan State couldn't move the ball or didn't have capabilities of doing that, but Purdue definitely um, maybe a step up in class offensively or at least in the passing game. And you know, that's like again, we keep we keep asking for more, and they keep giving us more along the way. But is is that one thing you're looking for in particular in this game? How they respond to a team that could maybe you know hurt them a little bit more through the air. Yeah, I, I, it's going to be interesting first to see who's quarterback in the Boilermakers. Uh, Aiden O'Connell was hurt last week, didn't play. Um, Coach Jeff Brom's been a little, um, you know, hasn't really hit him if he's going to play or not uh, this week. His backup had a decent game against Florida Atlantic to help rally him back. Uh, the, the, the interesting thing this week is they're uh, playing against a, a receiver who's one of the better ones in the country, and it's going to be uh, Charlie Jones, uh transfer from Iowa. He's already had 41 receptions this year, leading leading the nation. Um, so they'll they'll be matched up against a guy who's going to get the ball a lot. So far this year, they haven't had a situation where they've had a had one guy like that where they've had to shut down. Um, it, it, we'll see how they they do against that. It's 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 a little different wrinkle than than they will have seen, but um, it, it'll be a good challenge. Couple more thoughts for you, Randy Johnson, Gophers beat writer for the Star Tribune. One of them being you start seeing. All sorts of projections. I think you know bowl things that come out right now are way too early. But you see, like citrus bowl, orange bowl, something like that. Like this is you know we all it's fun to kind of imagine and whatnot. And you know where where are you kind of on the spectrum of how good this team looks so far versus let's not get ahead of ourselves still at this point. Well, you know the beauty of our job is we can get we can put the, the cart way ahead of the horse and it doesn't sure. cost anything. <laughs> that's true. The, the coaches and teams convenient. That's that's a different story. Um, no, nah, you know, it, it's, it's fun to, to daydream a little bit and see what's going to happen. Uh, I, I, I think they, you know, they still have a lot of, you know, the, we're talking only one conference game so far. 
they got eight more to go and, and um, four more on the road. So that's, you know, that's always a concern when you're playing on the road. And so far, it's, it's their culture has traveled, as, as they like to say. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, this one, um, Purdue, is, is a tricky one. They're, they've lost a couple tight games to decent teams in Penn State and, and Syracuse. Um, you know, they're, they're not a team that you can take, take lightly. They're, um, you know, they, they, they can light the scoreboard up I, I, defensively. Yeah. They'll, they'll give up some, but, but, you know, I, it, it's fun looking ahead. It's, but I think, you know, you got to take care of what's, what's in front of you right now. Looks like it's going to be a nice day Saturday. They've got some, but they got the stripes plan. Some of the, you know, the different, uh, the different way the, the stadium is going to look. I'd imagine it'll be pretty full, if not all the way full. I mean, is this, you know, Atmosphere wise, I got to imagine this is, you know, probably their, their first, the first real big one of the year with the first big 10 home game. Yeah, I think so. It'll be, uh, they should get a pretty good crowd. Uh, I'm sure a lot of the people would, would like it rather be at two 30 than, than 11 AM to spend a little more time t- getting primed up and tailgating for the game. But uh, they'll, they'll make do. I mean, <laughs> you have some hardy fans getting, getting out there at 7 AM and get it, getting it going. But uh yeah, it, it should be a nice, nice atmosphere. With we'll see how that stripe out works, you know, the alternating sections with maroon and gold. Um, yeah, it should should be it should be a fun time. And, and, and you know, it's this this team is I would say it's earned a big crowd. Uh, so it would be nice if if it, if it shows up like it's you know shows up pretty full. That uh, that sounds accurate to me as well. I think they're favored by like nine and a half or ten at this point. They could open it like seven and a half. So there are. Plenty of believers out there, and we will see if they uh, keep earning that belief on Saturday. Randy Johnson, good stuff. We'll keep reading your coverage in the Star Tribune, StarTribune.com. We'll catch up soon. Okay, thank you, Mike. Now, I feel like the Gophers are taking a little bit of the spotlight, or at least taking a little bit of the pressure off of the Vikings, and I think that pressure on the Vikings would be much greater had they not pulled off that win Sunday against the Lions. And that brings me to the cooler. Like I said at the beginning, Mark Craig's story on the defense on uh, with some with some key Eric Kendricks quotes. Kendricks had a really good game Sunday, but you know, Mark was wondering, he saw Vikings had no sacks, um, no knockdowns, just in the closing minutes, only got to Goff one time, uh, Jared Goff. Uh, Jared Goff built two double-digit leads while facing only seven blitzes on Sunday, even though the Lions had some injuries on the offensive line, even though Goff is not the kind of quarterback who is going to hurt you with his legs. So Mark asked Eric Kendricks, do you think guys sit back a little bit too much sometimes in this new defense? And Kendricks said, yeah, sometimes. Sometimes we got to be more aggressive, and sometimes we got to make plays on the ball, too. He said, "One the, the quote that really caught my attention, though, was this. It was really good for us to get this win, to stay positive while fixing things that need fixing, said Kendricks. We have a lot to clean up, a lot. Now, when the players are seeing that the scheme, that there's some holes in the scheme, that there's some gaps in the way that the players are, you know, producing in the scheme, that you know, and they're free to talk about it. I think that's good. I think we saw a little bit of that from Patrick Peterson after that loss to the Eagles, where he said, you know, we're making adjustments, but not the right ones. We need to play up a little bit more. You know, I think these guys are itching to be a little bit more aggressive, and maybe that will come once they get a little bit more comfortable in the scheme. They want to be, you know, if you're not comfortable in a scheme, you'd rather give up a bunch of 8- and 10-yard gains instead of a bunch of, you know, 20- and 30-yard gains if guys are getting behind you and you're getting blitzes and they're not getting home. That said, I think those guys are right, and that will be just, that's a storyline for me to watch. 
right? They they might get away with it. They, the schedule might align in a way that they get away with it early because I don't think New Orleans has a great offense, and I don't think Chicago has a great offense. Those are their, their next two opponents, but watch that going forward because it feels like that has the possibility to be a storyline. Will they be good enough on defense once they start facing some of these better teams consistently? And will the scheme catch up to the personnel? I don't know about that. I think it's going to be interesting to watch. And I'm sure Andrew Kramer and I will talk about that more on Access Vikings podcast today. That'll do it for me here today on Daily Delivery. Like I said, an Access Vikings coming out later today. Chris Hine on Thursday's show to talk Timberwolves. Uh, I'm sure we got to talk wild at some point, but to me, it's too early to talk hockey. It's September. Stop tweeting about hockey. It's not hockey season yet. We'll talk basketball on Thursday's show, though. We will certainly do that. Thanks for joining me today. Back at it Thursday. 